0: Thank you for listening to season two of spotless breaking the boundaries of television presented by two media powerhouses triple lift and advertising week spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution so you know listen up evolution we came from monkeys now we're humans who knows where we are next you're going to learn something on this podcast
1: Tara Wolpert-Levy leads agency and brand solutions for Google and YouTube. She is responsible for Google's multi-billion dollar advertising and tech business with third-party agencies and marketing partners. She also runs specialist business ranging from measurement to creative to multicultural solutions and industrial relations. Before this, Tara led ad products marketing for Google, YouTube, and DoubleClick. Prior to Google, Tara was the president of Visible World, now owned by Comcast NBC, building the company into leading targeted TV advertising platform. She was also a leader of global media and entertainment and sales and marketing practices at McKinsey & Company. Tara writes and speaks frequently on the shifting marketing and media landscape, the evolving responsibility and impact of public boards, and the value of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. She has been inducted into the AAF Advertising Hall of Achievement, identified as a D-Mexico global trailblazer, and named as one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. Tara, thank you for joining us today on Spotless.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: For starters, you have a very impressive career, so tell us a little bit about your path to YouTube.
0: Sure. Well, I was always passionate about media and I, I still joke with my parents that uh, many of my career choices were in part to justify how much, how much TV and video I consume in general. But I used to write. I went out to Hollywood uh, after business school and spent a summer at doing script development. And then when i went into business i started out at mckinsey but i i was very persistent in wanting to pursue media and advertising clients and opportunities there so that's what i did for five or six years and then as the whole interactive tv and online world was coming up i was getting more and more fascinated and so i was going to conferences on behalf of my clients And I met the founder of a company called Visible World, which was essentially addressable television and ended up in learning more about them, making the leap, went over there, ran sales and marketing, then became president of the company. And ultimately that company is now owned by Comcast NBCU and the backbone of their addressable efforts. Um, So I leapt to Google with the mission of trying to help them uh, marry, at that time, the balance between Madison Avenue and Silicon Valley, which was an experience I felt I just lived in my startup life. And so I came in uh, to help lead B2B marketing, had a variety of different marketing roles there before coming back to my current role, which is more of a sales or ops general management uh, role, looking at agency and brand solutions. So. I just had my 10-year Google anniversary I shared a little bit more context in a piece on LinkedIn, uh, 10 lessons from my 10 years at Google. And um, if you're interested, uh, I'd love for you to check it out.
1: Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. More than 120 million people streamed YouTube or YouTube TV on their TV screens in December 2020 alone. And that's up 100 million. Uh, from March of 2020. How much of YouTube's growth was driven by the pandemic and what sort of challenges do you see that come with this growth?
0: Well, I think COVID really accelerated trends that were already there in the world and in streaming and, and for YouTube specifically. So digital video was already exploding and the pandemic just hastened it, right? I mean, it's so fascinating that 2020 was the first year when streaming households were greater than linear TV households, right? I mean, linear TV households are down 20% since 2016. We, we haven't seen these kind of numbers since the mid 1990s. So that industry trend I think was reflected at YouTube. The TV screen had been our fastest growing screen for a while and it continued to accelerate throughout the pandemic. So yes, as you said, over 120, 20 million people streamed YouTube and YouTube TV at the end of last year. But we were already at 100 million, even when the pandemic just began. So the fact that YouTube you know, has remained and, and continued to grow its leadership position in reach and watch time among the streaming services, I think is, like everybody else, in part a function of the pandemic, but more that's a speed question, not a direction question. And so we we expect that will continue.
1: You mentioned this this aggressive growth in streaming households, and and it was really exciting to hear about YouTube's living room takeover at the new fronts this year. Can you share a little bit more about the new ad tools for marketers being rolled out, such as the brand extensions? Sure,
0: I mean, one of the other trends that was accelerated by COVID was e-commerce, right? I think that was again, growing, expanding and got an enormous lift. And so there's a large number of things that we're doing to help make the transition from where tons of people were already commenting that they would go somewhere and purchase a product either online or offline after seeing it on YouTube. And we wanna make the connection more direct. So we've launched a number of different shopping initiatives and I look at brand extensions under that umbrella where it's essentially offering an opportunity to give interactive features where viewers can interact and learn more about the brand without ever leaving the platform. So just one click of a button, it doesn't interrupt their viewer experience, but they're able to learn more and potentially you know, even click all the way through, which means that the brands can see what kinds of conversions are being generated right in line with everything else they're looking at on Google Ads. So I think this is just you know the first of many interactive features that are gonna come to the, the TV screen specifically, and we're really excited about it.
1: That's great, and there's a lot are happening right now in terms of the world of conversions and and how that'll change in the coming years. So it sounds like Google will be in a good spot with uh, something like brand extensions.
0: You know, we're trying to just make everything that we do as simple and relevant for brands and for viewers as possible. And and this one seems to be a hit. and, And we look forward to, again, continue to just make that education and shopping experience easier for people who want to learn more.
1: That's great. We also heard about the YouTube select sponsorship program, which I will say in my prior life at the agency, I have a little bit of experience with. So Tara, why don't you kind of just walk us through some of the benefits you feel brands and advertisers see from something like the YouTube select sponsorship program.
0: So YouTube is people's access point for the biggest cultural uh, moments of the year. And so that's really what we're trying to do with the sponsorship program. So we've had a lot of big tentpole moments for a while, things like Coachella, other YouTube originals, things like that. But what we've been asked to do in the last year, and this was sort of our response, is to really expand the opportunities for brands to connect in those cultural moments. And so we are now really trying to have a much more year-round calendar opportunity to tap into the zeitgeist, right? whether that is Black History Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, Women's Month, Mother's Day, back to school, you name it. And so the, the sponsorship program now creates more customizable opportunities for people who wanna basically put a, a fine point on their more at scale upfront
1: buy. You mentioned YouTube being kind of the center of people and, and cultural moments. Do you feel like brands should look at YouTube's audience on mobile as any different from their audience on CTV when they're looking to activate on these cultural moments?
0: That's interesting because I think just like retailers have to think omni-channel, I think media does too, and as a result, when brands are connecting through media, they need to think about all of the platforms. And so to your point, they might customize some of the content or creative or form of engagement for mobile versus television versus desktop, and we offer a lot of solutions that make it easy to do so. And to some degree, there are slight differences in audience type or the engagement, depending on what kind of moment they're in, which is sometimes reflected by the device. But overall, I think they need to just be thinking about what's the experience, the customer experience in each of the key moments based on a customer's mindset. And if that happens to correlate to the screen or the device, terrific. I mean, the reality is we know that brands care a lot uh, about the the TV screen in particular, and so we're excited to be able to offer a lot of opportunity to specifically target the the TV screen if that's what you're looking for. And obviously, our co-viewing is going through the roof, so you do get um, some added benefits from from people watching together and talking among themselves. I do think though, it it is important and will only continue to be even more important to make sure that that's an and not an or as as we think about TV and mobile.
1: When working with agencies and brands, what's on their checklist these days as they look to your team for ad innovation?
0: We find that typically advertisers and agencies want to do two things. They want to be able to connect with people where they are in the most meaningful way possible at scale and to be able to customize and optimize their campaigns as they move through the moments with ease and they want something or some way to distinguish themselves and make their brand pop in a way that's going to be talked about around the the virtual or live water cooler. And so that's really the balance that YouTube is trying to achieve in what we're offering to advertisers and agencies, both in the upfront and year round with things like YouTube Select, which offers our greatest content across all of our screens with an opportunity to tie to CTV, and to use our tools for creative and measurement to optimize throughout the campaign on an always on sort of way. And to marry that with things like some of the the YouTube sponsorships that we've talked about, which allow for deeper customization and, and unique ownership by a brand. I think also we're getting asked a lot these days about commerce and opportunities to innovate in ad formats around commerce. And that was what drove not only brand extensions, but some of the innovations you've seen us launch around product feeds and other ways for agencies and advertisers to take advantage of of YouTube in a shopping environment.
1: Shifting gears a bit, brand safety is something the entire industry has had to grapple with. Um, But on a platform that allows for user generated content, your challenges are a little bit unique. How has your team handled that over the last few years?
0: I think the the challenge with brand safety is is not who makes it or how or why it's the it's the scale that's achievable through the platform, right? which means the volume of content that you're looking at is so enormous. And so I think the the way we've tried to handle that is a balance between constantly improving machine learning approaches and then, the overlay of human oversight and checks and you know, information that then also feeds back. So it's a virtual circle between technology and people. Um, and yet, candidly, I think it took a little while for the, for the market to appreciate why we needed both. But I think if you look at the data and see how you know, radically improved YouTube's brand safety is and the, the acclaim that you know, has been given by Folks like the MRC or GARM or our industry partners, you know, we're deeply appreciative that uh, they feel that YouTube is doing a terrific job on brand safety, and we know that that is a job that is always continuing. Right. And um, again, we're just happy, I think, to be able to provide both the the human and technology tools to ensure that the platform meets the safety standards of our, of our customers and of our viewers.
1: There tends to be a lot of noise and, and myths about YouTube, not only from an advertiser side, but also from a consumer side. Is there any truth behind some of these myths or what, is, what are your feelings on some of the conversations that are occurring around that?
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, I don't hear as many myths on the consumer side because they're the ones in there acting, viewing, participating every day, not to say they don't exist what I do here is two consistent myths from advertisers and agencies, one of which is around the perception of content on YouTube. So we get a lot of questions about, well, is it a little too UGC, or does it feel not premium enough? And as a result, is it really comparable to television? And I guess I'd offer a couple thoughts on that. One, most of the people who are asking that don't watch a lot of YouTube, (laughs) because what you'll see is not only is there a wide range of production quality, much of which very much mimics what people are more traditionally used to, there's actually a ton of television network content on the platform itself and growing rapidly. The other thing I would say is there is overwhelming data that says that while we might care as an industry, the viewers don't at all, and if you look at what drives results, what you see is that it is entirely about authenticity and relevance and engagement of the viewers, which sometimes comes from very highly produced content and sometimes doesn't. And so I think that's one of the the discussions that five years from now will be obviously not relevant and we're just working our way through the myth today. The other thing that I think, I don't know if it's a myth as much as a question is that we hear uh, uh, sometimes that, now that basically all brands are involved in YouTube in some way, that there's a big question about like, well, you know, do I have enough YouTube? Like, is it enough? Do I just need to go, you know, find an incremental audience somewhere else because quote, I already do YouTube. And what I would offer there is that, uh, if you look at meta studies of media mix analysis, if you look at incremental reach opportunities, for very few advertisers and agencies, are they, quote, doing enough on YouTube to optimize their return? I believe we had a a study from last year that showed that on average, and of course it totally depends, but on average, most advertisers would benefit tremendously in terms of sales growth from shifting another 20% of their traditional TV spend to YouTube. And so that's another opportunity where I think what we find is advertisers and agencies want to do their own custom study to prove that out. But we have seen very consistent results from doing so. And so we will continue to work that through this year and beyond.
1: So in part of your 10 lessons from 10 years at Google, one of the ones you talk about is be the champion. That's right, I did my homework. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's you save the best for last. And and quite honestly, in the last year, we have seen a long overdue increase in social awareness and being a champion for social awareness. Can you share more about the YouTube Black Artist class of 2021? And are there any additional initiatives YouTube has created to more accurately reflect the world we live in today?
0: Absolutely. So last year, YouTube created the YouTube Black Voices Fund, which is a global multi-year commitment to uplift and grow Black creators and artists on the platform, um, as well as to produce YouTube original programs that focus on racial justice and the Black experience. So as part of that, we developed the YouTube Black Voices grant program. Uh, in order to help give black creators resources to help them succeed on the platform. And we announced earlier this year, 132 creators and artists, 48 of whom are in the United States with incredibly diverse talents to help bring this this forward. Um, And in the coming months, what we're gonna do is we're gonna work closely with them to ensure that they thrive, including dedicated partner support from YouTube uh, and sometimes even seed funding invested into the development of their channels. So we're incredibly excited about it. We have actually just announced we're accepting applications for the class of 2022. And we're really looking at how we can fund and create initiatives like this across a wide range of creators. You know, we've always believed that the diversity of the creators on YouTube was one of the platform's incredible strengths. And you've seen us recently do things like, um, for example, just this recent uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month we launched an AAPI Story Time for Kids on YouTube, and we're really looking to try to make sure that everyone, you know, both finds a home on YouTube, meaning a, a creator and an ability to create a business, and that viewers can find the kind of content they're looking for that that resonates with the full spectrum of, of people out there. I think one of the things that Actually, the umbrella is from Google, and inclusive of YouTube that that I'm most proud of is also the inclusive marketing initiative that we just launched, which we don't claim to have all the answers by any means, but it shares all of the learnings that we have had over the last 18 months to try to make our own marketing more inclusive and more representative for everyone. And we think that will hopefully be very helpful. We've gotten great feedback from our, our agency and advertiser partners, And just scaling the learnings of making sure that, you know, what we are all seeing is the world that we're all living in.
1: Well, Para, we like to end our conversation with a a prediction on the future of television. Based on all of the growth, data, and trends we are seeing to date, five years from now, without naming any names, what are the characteristics of the platforms that will be leading the streaming landscape? And what do you feel like ad experience will look like?
0: So I think in five years that the industry is ironically going to look a lot closer to how it did pre-cable. Meaning that most entertainment programming is going to be viewed through roughly three to five apps on phones and connected TV. Kind of similar to how, I, I won't comment for you, but for me of a certain age, right, not dissimilar to you know my original exposure to ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox growing up. And so you know, it's, it's, ironically, it's not that different even today. right? 75% of streaming viewership is already concentrated in just five players. And so whether those will be the same five players or not, we'll see. right? Obviously, most of them have had a 15-year head start. But there are many networks now looking to, to try to, to, to bust into that top five, which you know, currently looks like YouTube, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Hulu, and Disney. And so uh, who will be successful in the end? I think TBD, but I think all of these platforms will be more interactive, more personalized with much more variability in ad content, length, production style, degree of interactivity, ties to the ability to purchase some of the trends that we've been discussing all the way through. And I have to say, I think once once the shakeout is sort of fully emerged, I think there's no question that viewers are happy. And I think the the platforms and content creators um, that that thrive uh, will be even happier as well because this is a world that generates more opportunities for creativity and for business growth and for diversity and I think that's a win win for everybody.
1: As a as a follow up to that, you mentioned returning to streaming habits free cable. Are you do you feel like that's indicative of just been overabundance of content and choices for a streamer and a consumer, or do you feel like it's just a matter of the top dogs and the top players having the means to consolidate under one sort of company or holding grasp?
0: I think this is mostly driven by viewers, to be honest. And it's in part a question of time and time allocation. I mean, even in our infinite world of, Television and cable networks. Most of the most of the viewership was still concentrated in more like twenty, and now the economics have changed such that I think you need a degree of scale to thrive. That you know, when you match viewers both attention span and also their willingness to pay directly, you probably end up in a world where you've got support from more like three to five enormous platforms that that conduct most of the, or or capture most of the viewership, and a handful that also continue to survive and thrive in more niche ways, not so dissimilar from today. But I do think the concentration gets greater because of the scale economics.
1: In terms of the ad experiences and what that'll look like five years from now, do you foresee, again, consumers continue to make the decisions on behalf of the advertising world in terms of whether or not ad loads continue to decrease and there's more opportunity for creative ways to become more integrated within content itself, or do you feel like we've reached a natural, natural kind of standstill of what the consumers are looking for from ad experiences and we'll be able to maintain that moving forward? Well,
0: remember, consumers, don't dislike ads. They dislike ads that are either interruptive or not relevant to them, right? And we see that all the time because when we publish the the leading content on YouTube each year, invariably a couple of those, and this is this is open to both paid but more traditionally non-paid, just organic content by real creators on the platform, there are always a couple of ads that make the top of that list. And so we believe and I think we've seen this trend play out that you will continue to see the trend toward fewer deeper ads let's call it that right which give viewers the opportunity to go in more depth in the areas that they care about and to connect much more deeply with brands and that could be anywhere from clicking off the 6 or 15 second ad into a deeper 3 minute experience to you know signing up for a lead list to actually going through and and buying a product but I think the ad experience is going to feel better. You know, we're sort of in the middle of the evolution right now. I think it's going to feel better for brands, creators, viewers, everyone. You know, in five years when we're when we're on the other side, of sort of having having gotten through to, to figure out this depth that's available in ways that are more consistent across all of the the platform and content providers.
1: Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you once again for joining us on Spotless.
0: Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun.